get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, the host for MLB Network Radio. He's Mike Farron joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I am great. It is a beautiful day in Phoenix, and I'm taking advantage of it before it gets to be 110. Hey, man, we we hear you. It's less beautiful here, but it was a nice day in St. Louis yesterday. <laughs> Still not 110, which is always <laughs> no. good, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's better than the alternative. Uh, Mike, yesterday's uh, Cardinals game got a little out of hand with the Mets, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that was kind of interesting at the end, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that are at play in here, right? The Mets are getting hit a ton, like way more. I think six more times than the next closest team. And their right-handed hitters are being pitched in basically more than anybody else's right-handed hitters in the league. So, and people are throwing pitches at the top of the zone more than they ever are. So, it's, like you can see why the recipe why they were getting upset. And if you're Arenado, and even though Buck Walter said that they weren't going to be throwing at anybody, you're in a five-run game in the ninth inning. You're one of the star players. You're bracing yourself for that moment, right, where you're getting thrown at. So even though the pitch didn't look to be all that close to Arenado's head, I probably would react the same way. To, well, I shouldn't say that. I would probably plot. <laughs> Nick <laughs> Nolan probably handle it better than I would because I have to think that that is absolutely terrifying if you're anticipating it and then there's a 96-mile-an-hour pitch up near your neck, you know, even if it's not right at you. So. I kind of understand where everybody got to in that, well, why the bench is cleared, why everybody is upset on both sides. And um, I guess the good news is that they get a couple week break before they have to square off again. Mike, are the Mets becoming villains in baseball? No, I don't think so. I don't, I mean, why would they be villains? They're the ones who keep getting hit. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't really get the sense that they're villains. In fact, I think that they're a pretty enduring bunch. Um, they brought in a number of really high character players from the outside. You know, obviously Scherzer gets the, the big bill, but I view Bassett that way, you know, despite his complaints about the baseball. I mean, he's not alone in feeling that way, but they might be in the minority in terms of pitchers who feel that way about the ball. But Escobar, Tana, Starling Marte, I mean, I actually think it's a pretty likable bunch. So I don't get the sense that they're villains. They might be villains in St. Louis. I was about to say. Happen, and that's fine. <laughs> they are here now. Fine. I mean, listen, they're, they're I mean, I, I think it's kind of weird that they would be villains in that 
after they were the team that got hit a bunch in the series. It's right? mostly like, Pete Alonzo, I think, Mike. I think it's mostly Pete Alonzo, not not the rest of the team, because he said if I could, if I wanted to put somebody in the hospital, I could. He's a big guy. I think that he was just. I mean, he was just disappointed he got taken sure. down by five eight fifty year old men. It was between that and Giovanni Gallegos jumping over the bullpen <laughs> to sprint into the infield. It, it was, that was terrific. Can the Blues use him tonight? Like, my gosh, he was ready for the third line. <laughs> it was amazing. It, it was quite the scene. And to, to be clear, none of us here are really all that upset about anything that happened yesterday. I found most of it to be pr- pretty funny, honestly. Um, I. I I'm just glad nobody ended up getting hurt in any of it. Um, Mike, I did want to ask you, though, about that series on the baseball side of things, because uh, the first game ended poorly for the Cardinals. But up until that ninth inning, they had been playing incredibly well. And then you get a weird throw by Nolan Arenado. And then Giovanni Gallegos didn't cover first base. And you end up losing that game five to two. And then yesterday they play so well once again. I think we're talking very differently here in St. Louis if that first game ends with them winning. How do you view this Cardinals team after watching them in a big test against the Mets? You know, I pulled out my magic eight ball on that this morning, um, and it wasn't much help because I don't quite know yet how to evaluate the Cardinals. I'm not quite as high on the Cardinals as maybe some other people are. I think there's some depth issues pitching-wise, and I do have some lineup concerns and again, like anything that comes out of this is, is with a huge small sample size caveat, right? Because we're not even an eighth of the way through the season. But I do think that the, the one thing worth watching is their numbers against right-handed pitching in particular, where they're down towards the bottom of the league in terms of production. They're pretty right-handed. You know, and I liked the Corey Dickerson move in the sense that you get a left-handed bat in there you know, could they have gone bigger at the beginning of the winter? Sure, but that wasn't going to happen. So based on the personnel that was available to them, I felt like Dickerson was a good fit. I just am not quite sure where they're going to go offensively. I'm a little concerned about their depth of starting pitching. But that said, like, if they're going to play at this kind of level where they're, you know, you know, basically winning, you know, 53% of their games until Jack Flaherty comes back, I think that they would – take that for sure because I think once Flaherty is healthy I think he's an immense difference maker but I don't have a great feel for where they sit right now and I think some of it is because you've got guys like you know Carlson whose strikeout rate has dropped precipitously I think that's really encouraging it just hasn't had much impact to this point Goldschmidt really hasn't been impactful as of yet Um, I think it's super encouraging that Arenado swung the bat the way he has um, when Nolan gets hot, he can carry a team like that for months at a time. So I'm still kind of in that I don't know exactly what to do with the Cardinals, but it's a pretty solid start overall. And it's not like Milwaukee, who's a team that I, I think they're better offensively than what the perception is of them, but it's not like they're so much better that they're in a position right now where they can run away with things. So I'm still kind of getting a feel for where the Cardinals sit. I'm with you on that one too, Mike. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans are hoping that Nolan Gorman, whenever he gets called up, is going to really help that, I guess, question from the left side for offense for this Cardinals team. My question to you is, though, how do you feel like Nolan Gorman fits with this Cardinals team? Is it going to be as a DH or is it going to be as a second baseman? Well, I mean, I think, you know, this is tough to say because Tommy Edmonds off such a hot start. I really think that Edmonds 
best role is probably as a guy who can play a bunch of different positions. And so I think second base probably makes sense. And they already have a lot of DH options, right? You've got Dickerson, you've got Pujols. You know, they're, they're not going to cut bait on Albert Pujols. I and mean, not to mention they swing the bat well. So you would be limiting plate appearances there. So I guess you would have to go with it at, at second base. And I haven't heard enough on how Gorman's defense has evolved at that position. I mean, the Cardinals do such a great job of putting their defenders in the best position possible that it may not matter. But I think he could have, you know, he could be impactful. But I also am always really concerned, especially now, maybe more so than I was five or six years ago even, about young players and their impact right away. And the reason is is that despite the fact that everybody is throwing harder than ever before, they're also throwing their fastball less than ever before. And fewer fastballs means fewer good pitches to hit. And I think if you were to look at the way Bobby Wood Jr. has been pitched in Kansas City or Julio Rodriguez has been pitched at Seattle, you'll see that they're seeing a significant amount of breaking balls compared to fastballs because teams are already treating them like, okay, they know how to hit the fastball. Let's see if they can adjust to this. And I have a feeling that same thing is going to happen with Gorman. So just dropping Nolan Gorman right in the middle of that lineup and saying, or or to the bottom third of the lineup and saying, all right, this is going to fix everything. I don't think that's fair to Gorman. I think he's going to need several hundred plate appearances to get adjusted. And I think that the Cardinals have a really good example of that in Dylan Carlson in showing how that adjustment period is now for young hitters. Yeah, I remember when he first came up, he was exclusively getting thrown breaking balls, basically, Mike, and then mm-hmm. they had to send him back down. That was during the 2020 season. He made a couple of ju- of adjustments to it. He was better whenever he returned, and then if you remember in that playoff series against San Diego, he was batting cleanup for him, but that was more a result of the lineup struggling than anything right. he did necessarily, so it's it's interesting. Um, I, I just think so much of that is related to their shortstop situation as well, mm-hmm. because you look at DeYoung and Sosa they're both off to relatively slow starts this season. Mike, where do you stand on this Paul DeYoung thing? Because he's he's obviously been the talk of the town all offseason as it was such a loaded shortstop class, and they decided to stick with, from within. Do you have hope that he's going to be able to turn this around? I mean, I always hope that guys get it turned around. Sure. But we're dealing with like two and a half years of track record where he's hitting under 200. I mean, I think if you go back to – I looked at this last year. It's something like the beginning of June in 2019. You know, his, his numbers are, you know, you guys are going to see the Diamondbacks this week. Nick Ahmed has not been a great offensive player. I think Ahmed has actually been a more productive offensive player over the last two and a half years than DeYoung has been. And he adds in gold glove defense to it. So I, you know, I, I have a tough time with it. I, would I like to see DeYoung rally? Yeah. I think there's some approach things that kind of limit his ceiling. And, and I do worry a little bit about that spot. I mean, I really felt like this winter, if they were going to upgrade the team, the spot to do it would be in the middle infield, either at second or short, to try and add some offensive thumb. Now, they, they sat out the high end of the free agent market, and that's where most of the shortstops were located. So your choices are DeYoung or Sosa, who was terrific as a rookie last year. They need somebody who can catch the ball in that position. They do a pretty solid job defensively. I think the metrics are higher on DeYoung than I think the eye test would be, but he really has done a very, very nice job for them overall. I'm not sure. Like I need, I need much like the rest of the Cardinals offense. I need another couple of weeks, three weeks maybe to really get a feel for where DeYoung is. But if he is still struggling, it would behoove them to make a decision fairly quickly 
on what other direction they could go. Because I don't think that the offense around him is strong enough to withstand a position that is a minus on the offensive side. Mike, final one for me, and I know we talked a little bit about pitching at the beginning of our interview, uh, but I wanted to go back to it. How impressed have you been with this Cardinals bullpen, and do you feel like that this bullpen could be uh, directing a lot of eyes towards them on the national stage by the end of the season? Yeah, well, I'm a huge Giovanni Gallegos guy. I think he's just, I think he's one of the best relievers in the league anyway. So I think that's super encouraging. I mean, listen, the, the, the I guess the big difference is from when we started last year and they had so many issues throwing strikes, whatever internal adjustments they made in addition to adding like TJ McFarlane and Luis Garcia in the middle of the season really allowed these guys to be more consistent in the zone. And they have some huge arms. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't think, I, I think it's really difficult to get recognized in a bullpen unless you have name brand performers. And I would even argue that as good as Gallegos is, and as much as those of us who are beyond nerdy about baseball know who Gallegos is, I don't think he has that national reputation yet, right? He doesn't have like the big save total or the all-star game appearances or something like that that would trigger that conversation. That said, keep quiet, keep doing your job. Run prevention is going to be really key for this team. Starters have been pretty good. I think Michaelis has come back, has been terrific. We actually had him on our show this morning and really interesting listening to him talk about how he was healthy and how he feels like his pitches are in a better position than they have been in the last several years. But I think as long as they keep preventing runs and as long as they're not walking guys, which really was the issue with the bullpen for the first two months of last year, I think they have a chance to be a pretty solid unit. Mike, you mentioned that conversation you had. We'll get you out of here on this one. Thanks so much for the time today with Miles Michaelis. And I think it was you that asked him about the baseballs and some of the controversy that has surrounded that, both in terms of what the pitchers are dealing with. And also, it, it relates to the hitting as well. The Cardinals have not hit a home run in their last eight games. You look up and down the lineup, this doesn't look like a team that should be struggling like that to hit home runs. And at their ballpark, it can be difficult sometimes. What have you made of the early season signs and some of the numbers that are coming out on the baseball, the way that's affecting some of the hitting, and also, of course, the pitching controversy that surrounded it as well? Yeah, so, you know, I did a lot of reading on it this morning because there was a lot written about it, you know, two days after Bassett's comments. Um, You know, I think there are a couple things that are at play. I think the uniform storage from the humidors is obviously a factor. Um, and the reason why it's probably a bigger factor now is, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as of right now in St. Louis, I'm going to assume that, assume that the humidity is not soul crushing. Correct. <laughs> that the air is probably a little drier than what the baseball is being stored at, which is what, what ends up happening in, in limiting the distance that it's hit. You know, I watched that in Arizona for a number of years when they switched the humidor in 2018 I remember the first game that they had in the ballpark with the new humidor balls was an exhibition game. Uh, Zach Greinke was pitching against Cleveland, and he gave up like five snot rockets that died at the warning track. So I think that's part of it. The other thing that I found interesting, more so than the consistency of the ball uh, pitcher to pitcher, that's always an issue. Like when you have human beings rubbing up the baseballs with mud, that's going to be a problem. But Scott Service, the Mariners manager, told us yesterday, he throws a lot of BP, and he has noticed a difference in seam height on some of the ball. Well, that also can constitute drag. I think Dave O'Brien wrote about that this morning in, in The Athletic as well. He's the Braves beat writer. That's something to keep an eye on because that was a major issue in college baseball several years ago where the seams were too high. It was basically sapping all of the offense out of the game. 
Um, and, you know, they had gone to the, the BB core bats at that point. So it was like, there were a lot of shutouts, right? There were a ton of no hitters and it's all because the, the pitchers were either a, a, able to get their pitches moved more or B when they hit were hit hard in the air, they died. So I think those are factors. And I do think, even though it looks like the average temperature league wide has been pretty similar, I think we can kind of by feel tell that when it's cold as heck, in Chicago and St. Louis and all that in late April, that it's probably a little bit colder than normal and that's going to impact it. And like, you're going to have in you know, Washington DC yesterday, they had a monster wind blowing in from left field, which was keeping the temperature down. And, you know, so combine that with the new ball storage and maybe raise seams and you get why Yadiel Hernandez hit a ball 107 miles an hour off the bat to the warning track, like didn't even get to the warning track and left. Center field. So I think all of those things are definitely factors in um, what's going on uh, again, like it's early. I don't want to draw too many conclusions. It's worth watching, but I think we'll have a much better idea come Memorial day, what we're dealing with than we do right now. He's Mike Farron, one of the best uh, baseball analysts in the country for my money. You can hear him over on MLB Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron, F-E-R-R-I-N. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Take care.